is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like Sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to our final podcast of the season as we take a look back on the historic and memorable rugby season in Ireland across 2022 and 2023. There was a clean sweep in the autumn, a senior and under-26 Nations Grand Slam, a dreaded wooded spoon, a Sevens World Cup semi-final, Olympics qualification, a first URC champion and a rare Dublin Champions Cup final. There is a lot to discuss. With me to look back on the year gone by is returning guest David Cordial. Welcome back, David. Thanks, Gal. And for the first time on these airwaves, we are joined by Harper on rugby regular and knowledgeable Leinster fan, Tom Coleman. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Cheers, Kyle. Nice to be nice to be invited. Thanks a million. No bother at all. Well, but first of all, then it has been it's been a good season, all things considered, hasn't it? Yeah. Deathly yeah. silence. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's been mixed. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't asked that question to Leinster uh, fans. Yeah, no, it's only, so it's only been a few weeks, so yeah. That's true. I'll give a different answer next uh, September. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, the the fear is in me after watching that squidge video, but we'll we'll motor on it. This is gonna be a positive podcast anyway. There'll be no we no doom and gloom here, thankfully. And we will start with the provinces first of all. But as I've compiled a fan view series, we won't spend too much time on this. Um and you can find the link to that in, in the channel. So Tom, first of all, will you take us through Ulster season briefly and any thoughts that you were left with after their season came to an abrupt end? Yeah, well, Ulster, Ulster season that had high expectations. I think that the, this was the sort of a coming to the end of the, the the McFarland cycle. So they've had a few years, and they they are a team that's less affected by the international breaks than others. So they do have, should have a lot more cohesion throughout the throughout the throughout the season. And um, the start of the season showed that. I think they won the first six or seven games. The only game they lost was was up in a wet Ravenhill against Leinster when they should have really won. Their more their Sort of attacking mall sort of malfunction slightly, um. But anyone that follows U.S. politics, you know, and the presidential election comes up, and there's a thing called the October surprise, where just before the election, some sort of slander or some sort of story breaks that 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 that, that sort of gets in, and and one of the one of the nominees or for the for the president is in a bit of trouble, 
Well, I think Ulster suffered from a December surprise, which sort of derailed their season completely. And and it did start down with their old uh, enemy down in RDS, where they sort of threw, game, threw away a game they should have won. Um, Keane Healy got sent off and they played against Leinster for, I don't know, over an hour anyway, was it, David, uh, um, in the RDS? And Leinster blew them away in the second half. And that was sort of followed up by a really bad defeat down in Sale, over in Sale in the Heineken Cup. And then they lost again. You know, they had the, the crisis of a frozen pitch, which forced them down to Dublin to play against La Rochelle. So just within the space of a few weeks, it just sort of psychologically damaged Ulster more than anything else. They lost a couple of games after that, I think against Treviso and against your own team, Quail and Munster, when you went up in Raven Hill. And I think after that, just with the confidence gone, um, Ulster were sort of fighting a bit of self-confidence throughout for the get them up over the last bit of the season and you know but it was that sort of December surprise that that sort of sort of threw them away um they ended up going out against Leinster in the Heineken Cup in the last 16 it was a good tough game and it was a sort of wet night again but they never really looked like winning either even though Leinster probably weren't at their best that day and you know Connacht surprised them up in the URC quarterfinals but fairly convincing win by Connacht in fairness you know what I mean it wasn't like they stole it or anything. They were the better team over for 80 minutes. Um, they had some positives. You know, I think Tom O'Toole and Tom Stewart have, are good additions to the Ulster squad this year. It's getting Stocktail back from injuries, but he's back in the extended Irish camp. So that's all positive. But they still have issues at half-backs with Burns at 10. And, um, you know, a lot of discussions around, you know, Leinster even season with Johnny Sexton and, and Ross Bourne step in or, or the emergence of Crowley and the Carberry's form going off, you know what I mean? Rugby still rugby, a lot of play goes through 10 and and um, I know Ulster do play a lot of ball off nine, but but, but until they resolve that problem, um, I know they've got some good acquisitions in Ewer, uh, Dave Ewers from Exeter and Stephen Kitchoff from Stormers, which is a great, you know, he's a fantastic player. I thought he, even in the loss to Munster in the, the final, I thought he was outstanding for the time he was on. Um, he sort of single-handedly kept Stormers in it for a while. Um, so that's great. But until they start that halfback issue out, they're, they're going to have the same problems again next year. I can't see them contesting against the the bigger teams in the URC and the and and definitely in Europe until until that resolved. So yeah, disappointing season for Ulster, especially to go when you go out at home in a quarterfinal to to Connacht. Uh, with all due respect to Connacht. Um, I think I think they'll 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 put it down as a definitely a negative negative mark for the season. Um, overall for me anyway. Yeah, and I think that's that's both the sentiment raised on the fan view series that I would have done, and also just in general with um with with Ulster fans like they did they were number two seed they they had to have a final in their sights and they they limped out and it was two the problems we come to next and Connacht you're somewhat of adopted province David do you want to sum up their campaign which was like Munster a tale of two halves in a lot of ways yeah so um, Connacht because I said it before we came on air and Munster had kind of the inverse season that Ulster had um, you know they had a they had a fairly rocky start I think the difference was with Connacht was right from the out we knew it was going to be tough their first I think five matches they had three Interpros and two away matches in South Africa, um, which is a hell of a way to start your season. Um, and to be fair to them, they, they did, did scrape one win. They got a home win against Munster in there. 
um, and, and lost the other four. Um, so right from the off, they were kind of at a, at a on the on the back foot. But I was just looking through the the whole season there. One thing Connacht has always struggled with over the years is consistency. You know, they'll back up one strong win with losing at home to the Dragons, say. Um, and, you know, it'll, it'll really makes it difficult for them to build momentum. But looking back over the whole season, um, match by match there, after those first five games, which they knew were going to be tough, um, they kind of won every match that you'd expect them to win. You know, they, they were able to win away against the Welsh. They won most of their home games, except when they were playing the likes of Ulster. Um, you know, if consistency is something Congress has struggled with in past seasons, this season they really nailed it down. Um, and even though it was touch and go to get into the, the playoffs or into the Champions Cup next year um, with, the, with the two finalists in the Challenge Cup, um, they earned that spot. Um, and there was really a, a consistency of form and a consistency of mood um, even between the URC and the, and the Challenge Cup, um, they won, they went three from four in the Challenge Cup in the in the pool stages, only losing away to Newcastle, which was a match they probably should have won. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought Connacht had an excellent season, and to culminate it with a win against Ulster in a, in a quarterfinal, and then a very convincing po- performance in the semis. Um, anyone who looked at the scoreline would think it was a completely different game. I think in the last ten minutes of that game, they were w- within six points of the Stormers in Cape Town, which is no mean feat. Um, so I thought I thought overall Connacht will be looking back on that season, maybe slightly with a bit of chagrin that they could have, they could have conv- conceivably gone to a final in Thomond. And uh, once you're there, you'd still fancy Munster, but it's 80 minutes of rugby, anything can happen. Um, but all over, I thought they had a very good season. And I thought for Andy Farrell, that was a decent send-off. Um, and I think he can definitely be happy that he's left the province in a, in a better state than he found it in. Absolutely. And that's, again, it's kind of something we've touched upon before. The Andy friend has brought them to a different level as mm. an entire unit, not just as a as, as simple win-loss record. And then, like you mentioned, consistency, it's always been a big question. Hasn't really been a question for Leinster, and it really wasn't this year either. They were unflappable for most of the season. Tom, we'll come back to you and for your province like they fell short in the league and in Europe, but as a as a whole, looking back at the season, how would you surmise Leinster's 2022-23? In short, still a bit raw. Um, yeah, look, I've said before, even on, a, on our own Leinster pod that I'd be on, like this, you know, you've no divine right to win trophies. And I always stand by that. Just, I mean, you can't win every year. Um, but like in the URC, we won 16 out of 18 games. I think we just lost that that sort of, Odd game down in against the Bulls in in Pretoria, um, and obviously we had a draw then against Stormers at home, both with depleted teams. But that's you know that's that's neither here nor there. They still go down as a, a loss and a draw. So yeah, I think we nearly eighty five tries during that period and thirteen or fourteen try bonus points. So yeah, a good win in the in the quarter final against Sharks, uh, sunny day in Aviva, and um, before we fell short against Munster, yeah. It is disappointing. Um, I always felt that game would be 50-50 because even the last, say, five or six years or even eight years, you know, I think Munster, apart from the Rainbow Cup, I think they'd won one out of 13. But a good lot of those were close. Do you know what I mean? There was, there was, it sort of went down to the last 10 minutes and Munster had a bit of um, momentum coming into that game. And, you know, it was, it was, it was always going to happen once. Do you know what I mean? It was going to happen, might happen again next year. 
but uh, it was always going to happen that we would just leave it leave it on the leave it short in the field against Munster. So yeah, look, it was it's disappointing. Um, I'm one of these supporters. This, I, I, it's not one or the other. Let's win the Heineken Cup and not the URC. Like especially after losing against the Bulls last year, fairly meekly in the semi final, even, even though the Bulls were good. Um, it's when you feel you're the best team in the league, and I suppose the regular season would show that. It's it's disappointing to go out in the semi final, and, and probably even more so against your 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 biggest rival, which is fair. I think that's okay. Um, so yeah, I think disappointing overall, but it's it it should be an easy fix for Leinster because it's not like the regular season went wrong and you know they'll they they they'll know where they went wrong. There's two years in a row now where they've they've probably underestimated the opposition. Um and it is it just shows you how tough it is to juggle two tournaments. There's not many squads across Europe that can handle it. Um if, if at all. I think you know, you know, Leinster did the double up in 2018 and I know Toulouse did it in 2021 I think so and Saracens obviously but it's it's a difficult thing to do so uh, I don't think Leinster will go back to prioritising one or the other they'll they'll whoever they get in the Heineken Cup next year they'll they'll go trying to win that game as well and win those games to try and get a good draw in the Heineken Cup and and, the, and they'll try and go out the same way in the URC and, and you know as I said you don't have the divine right to to, to, to win all silver. Uh, as for the Heineken Cup itself, yeah, it's just like the Curse of Lansdowne Road. I was a good few years ago. I was on the 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 old Lansdowne Road stands when we played Perpignan in the semi final, and it was it was a bit like that where the expectations were high, and we just didn't uh, you know beating us home expecting to get to a final. Um, yeah, the the uh, the Heineken Cup final itself, obviously very disappointing. You know. Um, but Lara Shell and Credit are a very, very, very good team. Um, there's not much between the two teams, and they just like we have over Toulouse, they just seem to have a little bit of a hoodoo on us at, at, for the last three years, and, and that's that's fair. Um Leinster will have to try and tweak things um next year, or or hopefully Toulouse get Lara Shell before we play Lara Shell. That wouldn't be too bad, or somebody else, maybe they get a trip to South Africa in a knockout game or something, but uh um because I don't care who we have to win to win a Heineken Cup. It doesn't bother me if we don't play La Rochelle again. I, I, there's no asterisk going to go down for me if we win a Heineken Cup next year or the year after and we don't happen to play La Rochelle. Good, whatever. doesn't bother me in the slightest. But yeah, look, it, it's very it's very hard. It's it's difficult to be overcritical considering the number of games Leinster won. You're really only talking a couple of losses, three losses all year out of whatever, 27, 28 games. Um, but they just happened to come at the pointy end of the season, which is which is disappointing. But once again, a lot of huge amount of new players brought through, and and the first year academy this year just trying to finish off in a positive. The first year academy list of players going in next next year is is as good as it's ever been. You know, there's, I think there's eight from now on the twenty Grand Slam team. Um, so yeah, look, Leinster are going to be there there again next year. So you know, that's that's what I'm clinging to come September. You know, we'll we'll hopefully be one of the teams to beat again in the URC and and the Heineken Cup. So um, yeah, you just have to keep going. And more often than not, Leinster are the team to beat. And as the old phrase goes, to be the best, you have to beat the best. And that's what Munster did. They went up to the Aviva and won. So we'll finish off with our URC champions, David. Do you want to take us through their crowning season, both domestically and in Europe, or if you want, just domestically? That'll <laughs> that'll do nicely as well. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so as, I think, as I said in the about Connacht, you know, Munster had a similar start to the season. Um, 
to Connacht. It's just theirs was slightly more unexpected. They started out with two losses on the road to Welsh teams, which, with all the respect in the world to the Welsh, is not something Munster would have expected. Um, particularly losing to the Dragons is very tough. Um, of those first five games, I think they got two wins. Um, or maybe even just, yeah, two wins and one was over Zebra. They did beat the Bulls at home, to be fair to them. Um, but they, and, they, and that whole start of the season, they had to play Leinster twice. I think they, we, they played us before Christmas this year as well, and then they played St. Thoman. So all the way up to December, it was it was looking tough for Munster, and there was some very serious talk that they would struggle to make the playoffs, never mind make the Champions Cup next year. And they kind of, in their very Munster style, they just kind of dug in, and they started eking out wins. Um, and uh, you know, and that that kind of grit, that kind of gristle that that they pride themselves on, that really came through for them. Um, and then they had a, a match against Glasgow at home late on in the season, and it was painful. They they took a very heavy hit. Now they they fired back, and I think it finished about thirty eight twenty six, which is more respectable. But it, it was a tough, it was a very tough day at the office, and particularly for it to be in Poland, a very very tough match. And I was thinking at the time that this could have been for Munster what the Leinster loss in the RDS was for Ulster. This could have been just a, a complete breakdown for them, but they didn't. They didn't stop. They they took it in stride and they said, okay, we're not doing that again. And then to come back from that and beat Glasgow away from home in the quarterfinal um, was a real redemption for for them. Then to beat, um, to beat Leinster in the Aviva, like talk about doing it the hard way. Um, Munster, I think, finished the season with six away games on the trot. And I think they won all of them except the loss to the Sharks, possibly in the Champions Cup. Um, and then draw, they drew one loss. The draw on the Sharks. They drew the Sharks in the URC then to yeah. finish the season out. Um, they did it the hard way, and which you know is the monster way, but they they got it done. Um, and that that game against Leinster in the Aviva, you know, there was a talk that Leinster hadn't fielded their strongest team. But Munster didn't either, and Munster didn't because they couldn't. They they sustained quite a number of uh, head injuries in that match against Glasgow, and they put out, um, so they were limited. They didn't have RJ Snyman. They didn't have Calvin Nash. I don't think they had Conor Murray. Um, I think the difference in that match was Munster put out the strongest team they had, and Leinster didn't. And I think in the end, Munster winning was was just, it was the right thing, um, as, as tough as it was for me to take. Um, when you get to a semifinal, you go hard. And Munster did, and, and they got the win in the end. And Jack Crowley took one step uh, further into into being a, a proper legend of Irish rugby. So um, I think as seasons go, yeah, is it nice to win every every match in the in the? There you go. Is it nice to win every match in the domestic season uh, like Leinster did? Sure, it's nice, but it's a hell of a nicer to come out of the the last that last match with a trophy. Um, so I think. Obviously, they they didn't go where they wanted to go in Europe. Anyone who's ever been to Durban, I haven't been, would tell you it was a hot day. It was a tough day for them down there. Um, but when it came to the URC, there was no mistake with how they finished the season. I think Munster will look up back on this as one of their one of their greatest seasons, even up there with the seasons they've won the Champions Cup. This was a big one for them. Absolutely, and it's it is year one as well, which we wax lyrical about in the. Monster pod and just in general about Monster this year, like it is year one, you have to give them time. They come away with a trophy, and probably just given the way the seasons progress, but the URC as a new entity and the Champions Cup as a 
I suppose something we don't have the same love affair with. It's probably important to look back on them separately as well, just away from the Irish picture, if at all possible, or including it. Like this is a question we ask I ask all my guests for fan view. Like, are you fans of the URC? And like, is it a rip roaring success? Or should we I suppose possibly remain wary of potential defections amidst all the upheaval in the premiership? We'll come to you first, Tom, because it's it's a different picture um, over the IRC than it is here, which is important to know. But the URC, firstly, is is it flourishing, do you think? Yeah, I think it's, I, I would put it in the success um, category with a work in progress still. Um, I think, the, you know, I know it's been said a lot, the addition of the South Africans has been fantastic. Um, and you can see that in the crowds are beginning to draw back. Like, I grew up looking at Super Rugby and Super 10s when I was younger and you could see the big crowds down in Loftus, 50,000 looking at the Bulls and that's starting to come back. I know the rugby world across the whole, both hemispheres suffered with um, um, sort of COVID and stuff like that. But it's great to see the, the South African crowd start to come back and they're a big addition to to the uh, URC. Uh, you rightly pointed out that, um, you know, Everything isn't rosy. Um, the, you know, the elephant, the continuing elephant in the room is is Welsh rugby, you know what I mean? And and just, you know, you see players uh, retiring one after another now, uh, leading up to the World Cup and just the upheaval that's over with the with the Welsh teams and the WRU is is, you know, that's a nettle that won't go away until it's resolved fully. And it will it does affect, you know, in some ways we're only as good as our weakest link. And at the moment, unfortunately, not necessarily on the field, but at the moment, definitely as a partner, the regions in the, the four clubs in Wales are, are the weakest link at the moment, purely because of the relationship they have with their with their own union and, and the disaster that is. And as you rightly said, you know, this, you know, what's going to happen to Gallagher Premiership as well. Um, um it, you know. Could you see an instance where English clubs could join the URC in the in the near future and have two divisions or something that that's highly likely? Um, when you see the RFU, whether it's true or not, reaching an olive branch of the RFU about London Irish or how what sort of truth is in that, we don't know. Um, you know, it's there's not that many steps away from from emerging of the two leagues, um, especially the situation the English clubs find themselves in, and uh, Newcastle are. <clears throat> The next, I believe, to go. Um, there's talk of a merge for a sort of a super north team between Newcastle, Leeds, and um, who play in the championship and um, Sale, which is ridiculous amount of distance. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, it's just it's a work in progress. But it's for me, it's a success. You know, I'm as I said when we were talking with Leinster, um, I want to win the the, the league as uh, I, I value it as a supporter. I my season ticket, I go. To you know as many games as I can, and um, it's it, thank God the South, South African teams come in because they've added a, a, a good and a better dimension to us. You know what I mean? Sharks and and um, and the Bulls, etc., the Stormers and the Lions, which is great to see. And as, as the crowds come back mm-hmm. and those rivalries are starting to to get going, you know what I mean? It's good to see the South African lads online give, bringing a lot of hate to Leinster, you know, Crusaders like, and 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 they'll be sick now after losing this home to Munster in the URC. So with with that sort of rivalry building up, it brings a bit of a needle and then you, you you know you want to win it more and and um which is good. So yeah, no, I think it's a definitely a success, but work in progress because of of other things that's outside of control, like the, the Welsh situation and the English situation at the moment. 
And I suppose I kind of know the answer by knowing you, David, you probably think it's a success, but would you echo what Tom's saying that there's, you know, there is reason to be cautioned. There is, you know, the work in progress side of things that could be bandied about the URC as well. You're on mute there. Sorry. <laughs> I'm on mute. Sorry. Um, I would. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think Broadscope has been very successful. Um, it's been a lot more competitive than, than the Pro 14 and the Pro 12 all, often were. Um, looking at the table at the end of the year, there was a, a very definite top four and top and uh, uh, bottom four in terms of the teams that got to the knockouts. But then when you got to the knockouts, um, you know, quarter four, quarterfinals, it was two teams from that top four, uh, Leinster and the Stormers, who, who made it through their quarterfinals, and then two teams from the bottom four, Munster and Connacht, who made it through theirs. And then one of those teams in the in the bottom four, fifth, so not not that's in the side bottom, but the, the team who came fifth who got to the final and then ultimately won it. You know, if you compare that to say the Champions Cup where you got to the round of 16 and every single match it was the home team that won. I think even in the quarterfinals, then it might have been the same thing. And uh the final four of that, you know. So I thought the the URC, even when it got to knockout stage, was still a very competitive competition. Um the elephant in the room is definitely the Welsh. Um, whatever, but the quality of the rugby, the the financial situation they find themselves in and will find themselves in next year. You know, there was talk of the, the four of them having to come into camp and train together, not as a national team, but as clubs, because they don't have enough players in their squads to train properly. And for that to be the case is just unbelievable. Um, you know, their financial situation, you know, only, I can only speak to it from my outside, but similar to similarly to when you look at London Irish folding to Worcester falling to um, wasps. Who is it? Wasps folding. Thanks, Tom. You just have to think: how who's running this? How has it been allowed to get this bad? Um, and you would like to think that if the WR you don't do something about it, then maybe even the Welsh government, you know, will do something about it because it's just not not acceptable. And it is a concern because they make up a quarter of our league, and I, I like to keep them in there, you know. Um, even you know, talking about Munster start to the season, two of them got wins over Munster. There is, there is still fight there. They do still have very good players. Um, so they just they need to be, yeah. That that would be a concern on my front, on that front for me. Um, other than that, I think it's been it's been an overwhelming success, and I I've really taken heart from how much the South Africans teams have really taken to it. You know, um, obviously they had three from four teams make it into the the playoffs. They had, you know. Uh, the Stormers make it to the final again and the Stormers themselves I think are probably um, a template for other teams of how to get your community involved you know the Stormers tagline for this season has been make Cape Town smile and anyone who knows Cape Town knows it's a very beautiful place but it's also a place that suffers from a lot of poverty and they made a choice to say you know what we're going to make the tickets as cheap as possible because we want 50,000 people in that stadium as often as we can and and they made it work um and you know credit to the south african fans they can sometimes be a bit salty after wins but every comment i saw online after that final was stormers fans congratulating monster so you know i think that the league is is healthy now there might be some concerns in the future but right now it's right now it's going well and i'm glad you finished with a positive because i started at the top of the show saying there's going to be a positive conversation look back in the season but the next question is also a little bit on the the negative side of things but Anyways, we'll we'll motor on past after this one. So, like along along similar lines to what we said about the URC, like should we have concerns about the European competition? Because, like, listen, 
if we're being frank about it, aside from the provincial love affair that we have with it, and then the usual French teams, and I suppose La Rochelle, not a traditional side, but have taken to it, it, it probably has seemed to have lost its aura of the Heineken Cup era. So would you have concerns? We'll start with yourself, David, and Tom, you can jump in after if you want. Yeah, so I think um, the the concerns can probably be broken out into two bits. I think the the structure of the competition this year and last year was a bit all over the place. Um, I don't necessarily think the round of 16 is a bad idea. I'm, I'm all for more knockout rugby, but I think the structure of the pools and the fact that they're not really pools and you're not competing with the teams you're playing for spots kind of makes the the group stages I think I said it, I probably said to you at the time, Caelan, the, the group stages didn't really feel like pools. They felt like competition for seeding for the knockouts. Um, when 16 or 24 teams are going to knockouts and the other eight are going to the Challenge Cup, it was really just a case of who gets to play at home when we get to the, the round of 16. Um, I, if we had a move back to pools, like actual you know, teams, groups of four, groups of, uh, yeah, probably groups of four teams, I think that would help because then you are genuinely competing with the, the, the other teams in your pool. You know, if it's if it's 12 and 12, as I think it was this year, teams like Leinster, teams like La Rochelle, teams like Toulouse are going to end up on the top because over the course of those games, they're going to get enough wins and no plucky underdog is ever going to be able to pull it together. But if it's pools of maybe four each, then, hey, you get a win on the road against against the Leinster, you, you, you pull it off at home against La Rochelle, then maybe you can squeeze your way into the top two and, and convince them to make it through to the knockouts. Um, the other half I would say is that there's a concern about competitiveness and, you know, that a lot was made of the team that Gloucester sent to Leinster that, you know, uh, this season, that the team that Montpellier sent to them last season. The reality is that I think it was Nick Mullins, I remember commentating on, uh, ironically, Leinster playing Wasps in a pool stage a while ago. And he said that Europe was, the European competition was where the best got to test themselves against the best. This is going to be the best teams in England, Ireland. Scotland, Wales, South Africa now, Italy and France. It's going to be the best teams who end up. The the Of the top four teams, the teams that end up in the semi-final, you had four of the last five winners. And the fifth went out to one of those winners in the quarters in Saracens. So you're going to end up with the best teams in, in Europe at the top. I think the the real trick to making this more of a more more appealing to the teams who aren't maybe at that level is by making the pools more compact and more competitive and, and giving them a chance to because like what team even if you don't go on to win if you're the team that takes out Leinster at, at the pool stages or takes out La Rochelle or even takes out Munster at the pool stages you can wear that and you can carry that and you can you know even if you just get to a quarterfinal or a semifinal um, that could be a success so um, I, I think it's it's got a lot to work on I think the one strength of the European competition even with the champion changing is its longevity it's been there for ages you know, the URC is a great competition, but it's also in its second season. Um, you know, it's like a company. Most companies don't make it past 10 years. If you make it past that, you're probably good. Um, so I'd, I'd be cautiously optimistic about Europe and, and hopeful that, that small changes can make it um, a more of a, a more of a statement piece for, for even smaller clubs. Yeah, 100%. And it's funny how we say that if they go to maybe even a 2014 competition with four teams in each group that it could change things. It's almost like as if we've had this same story and same format before, but I, I don't know, maybe maybe we haven't. But Tom, would you like to add anything there on that? And You know, I think to echo a lot what David said, when I'm repeating what he said, but I think we have to sort of go back to the older format because the the short format, the way the pools are, and the pool stroke, not pools, is that the 
it, the, the better teams um, have less games to be ambushed in Europe. Really, um, playing playing six you know six pool games versus four is a big difference. You know what I mean? Um, uh, if you look at the last three years, what I'd call the big three, which is Leinster, Toulouse, and La Rochelle, there's a sizable gap now to the next the next team down. Those three teams, apart from beating each other, the only out of all that period of time, only Toulouse losing to, to Wasps in a, in a COVID year. Now it, it was Toulouse had had a had a had a weakened team going because they had COVID in the squad, but they fulfilled the fixture in the Rico. That's the only game those three teams have lost outside playing against each other. So there's an issue there, and and the issue there is this: it's easier for these teams, especially teams that are heavy on internationals like Leinster and Toulouse, as opposed to La Rochelle, just to prepare for four games and, and blitz those four games rather than having to maybe go to England twice for pools or maybe sometimes the way the draw is they might have to go to France twice over a period of time in the, from October to January. So it does leave it less competitive. I, I I'm sort of fifty fifty on the on the on the on the round of sixteen, mainly because it's it's it too many teams get through to the last sixteen out of like if you have a pool of twenty four teams which we have like three quarters of the teams are getting through. And, and even the teams that are getting into the Heineken cup, you're looking at eight teams that are the English premiership out of 10 teams qualifying, which is, which is crazy. So the, 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 it is dilutious and um, it gives the better teams and it'll be the same next year with all due respects to everybody else. You, you, you can nearly chalk it down that, you know, Leinster, Toulouse and La Rochelle are going to be in the semi-final next year. I don't know what way the draw will end up, but, but I, I I guarantee nobody would stick twenty quid on 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 that not happening, and and maybe one other team getting getting through. Um. So yeah, I very much, uh, you know, this this format has to go out the window. And you you are right when you say we've we've been here before. Like um, what what it's what wasn't broken. You know why why fix what wasn't broken? And um, it, it it's from that mark of 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 changing the 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 format the, the whole format of the competition where we've had issues and uh, as much as I like seeing Leinster get to the last four and finals where well, you know they've been to four out of the last five it, it will get boring. You know I mean I'm a Leinster fan I'll be happy with it but that if if, this, if it's La Rochelle Leinster and Toulouse every year for the next say another three years you know that's that's going to be an issue for the competition as well. I know we get periods of teams dominating but you know, I've I grew up looking at Leinster losing at home to London Irish or getting caught in the hop against Bath or losing over in England or losing down in Cast or maybe drawing down in Montpellier when they've had to manage six European games rather than four uh, and you throw in the internationals in in autumn and then you're preparing for the Six Nations in February. So there's different challenges on on, on the Leinster squad. Um, I'm just talking about my own team. Um, you, 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 Leinster could get caught out in the pool of six with two French teams, no problem. Uh, and end up second and having to go away in a quarterfinal and they're out um, because they might have to play Saracens away or, or, or Toulouse away or something. But if it's the format that's going to continue, Leinster you know, having to earmark four games and um, they're, go- they're going to get the four and they're nine times out of ten, well, it, it seems over the last few years and La Rochelle are the same or Toulouse are the same. Um, they just have to target lesser games and, 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 and get the maximum points they can and then they're very hard to beat because they've got the home advantage all the way through as far as the semi-final anyway until they meet each other so yeah I, I'm very much with David on it the, the, the format has to change and and uh, how many teams we allow in and, and um, or should be allowed in like you have five countries providing the same number of teams now than uh, than one country who's only got 10 teams in their league 
doesn't make any sense. You know, I mean, if if you if if you dropped an American in who had no idea the format of sports and you explained this to them, they'd be going, "What? what that's crazy." Um. So yeah, but but it is what it is until you know. Hopefully, it'll resolve resort itself back to to extended pools and and maybe one round less in the in the playoffs, um, and and make it a bit harder to get into the quarterfinals. And it's funny because it's kind of we'll move on to the international game now, and like the international game, in a lot of ways, has never been as exciting as it has been recently. The new Autumn Nation series was a, a rip roaring success over the last two years, and and that's where we will start when we look at the, the Ireland men's national team. You know, they went unbeaten this season with three wins from three in the nation series against South Africa, Fiji, and Australia. Um, and starting with yourself, Tom, again. Like, what do you think we learned from Ireland in those games last November? And looking forward, is there anything we can take from them and, you know, nudge, nudge, South Africa and that one that can be applied to this September and October in France? Yeah, well, I, I think I think with Ireland, discussing rugby with the Irish national team is always in context of, of our recent and near history. Um, the players that we are producing now um, in the four provinces the fear of playing the big three in the Southern Hemisphere is gone. And the, the more times, you know, we play South African teams now in the URC, which is, which an extradition is that, that that thing of facing the big South African teams and having that fear is gone. So these players have a different mindset than, than even the, the, great, the really good generations of the David Wallace's and Sean O'Brien's and, and, and Brian O'Driscoll's and Dennis Hickey's and Simon Gagan's and all these guys that, that are, you know, legends of Irish rugby. They didn't have that, uh, Here's the way of loss, Tom. Haven't had that happen before. Uh, David, do you want to just jump in there, and we'll try and sort this. Um, yeah. So I could, yeah, I could definitely uh, echo what Tom says. There's, there's a lot less fear. You know, um, you think of players like Hugo Keenan, Danchi, and um, Mac Hansen. Um, you know, those lads have beaten New Zealand more times than they've lost to them, which is a crazy thing to say. Um, I think the thing that we really learned from the Autumn Nation series as a, as a thing by itself is that, um, and this might sound uh, obvious, Ireland need the ball to, to, to be successful. We're a lot better with it in hand. Our defence is strong, but we're, we need it in hand. We're much less likely to say a French team who don't need the ball very often because they'll get it once and then Damien Pennell will stone up the pitch and score a try. Um, that's not really our style. We're, we're a system team. Um, we have plays, we have moves. Now we have a lot more freedom to work within that than we might have had in, in previous iterations, but um, we like to play the game the way that we want to play it. And I think it'll be key for us to be able to get on top of other teams to impose our system. That's how we're going to win matches, um, you know, particularly when it comes to like South Africans and uh, the New Zealands and the Frances. Um, you know, I was looking back at the scores there and I was actually at two of the matches. I didn't realize it was so, it was so tight. Like we beat South Africa and we beat Australia but we beat them both by less than a converted try combined. You know, it was a three-point game in each direction. And you could very well argue South Africa had Damien Willems to start that game at 10. And he's a fine player. He's a very good player, but he's not a 10. He's a 12 or a 15. And um, I think if they'd had someone like Andre Pollard, or if they'd had someone like Jack Crowley or someone like Ross Byrne as their starting 10, I think there's a very good chance they could have won it because he missed a lot of kicks. Um, he missed a few anyway that day. So... You know, we're we're on top, but we're not on top by a mile. And um, I think I would also say then on top of that, though, that um, 
there's a Squidge Rugby did a very good video on on Ireland and our chances of winning the World Cup. Um, and I do kind of buy into his notion that we're playing the same kind of moves at the moment. You know, this is a year before the World Cup. We're not showing you everything we've got. And Ireland is a team that builds moves. We build set pieces. We we build launch plays off of lines, off of scrums. Um, the Hugo Keenan example is is the is the ultimate example of that. But he then points out we pull that move out against England. So I think um, I think Ireland's got more in the tank than than we've shown in the last year. I think we've been, but but even allowing for that, we still winning matches. So um, I think I think it was a good. It was a good uh, series. Um, ironically, I think the worst match was the one we won by the most. You know, I think that Fiji game was in a lot of ways a, a massive setback for a lot of the people who played in it. You know, probably chief among them, Joey Carberry. Um, it, we, we ended up winning it by, I think, 35-17, but we did not play well. And the Fijians really put us to the pin of our collar in that one in a way that they shouldn't have, not in the Aviva. So I think... The starting 23 in Ireland are pretty much nailed in without a doubt. It's the it's the lads maybe just behind them that are that are slightly more in flux and in question. And when it comes to a World Cup where you have to play match after match after match after match and then go into knockouts, that would be my only concern. It's it's funny you mention, you know, Joey as one of the fall guys, four of the starting fifteen that started that game did not make Ireland's extended squad for the World Cup. Jeremy Luckman, um, one second, I'm just reading here. Jeremy Luckman, Nick Timoney, Joey Carberry and Robert Balakil. Do you know, so that that's what we're looking at. There's a volatility nearly. In and all this. fine players as well. Like they're, they're yeah. all, those are four good players. In other years, they'd have walked into the squad regardless. Do you know, and that's, that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, Tom will be back with us in a few minutes and we'll, We'll get his thoughts on the Six Nations, but that's what we'll move on to now. And as we all know, they picked Ireland picked up where they left off. They won a historic fourth Grand Slam um, back in March. And listen, it's, it's important not to downplay this. And I would have said this back in March as well. You know, like this, it was a huge scalp. Grand Slams don't come around too often to this country. But now there were a couple of months removed, three months removed. And kind of with the benefit of hindsight and all that, and a, a rash, more rational viewpoint, you know, because last time I spoke to you on this, it was um, less than 24 hours after we bet England. We were still buzzing from it. Like, are we possibly watching the best Irish team ever before our eyes? And I understand I'm saying this before World Cup, which ultimately they would be judged on rightly or wrongly. But as of right now, do you think you can make that case? I think I would make the case that we're watching the best Irish system. Um, I think you could probably pick an assortment of players from the past, you know, your Brian O'Driscoll's, your Paul O'Connell's, um, your own Nogaras, who you might say you'd like to have this team. But I think as a system, this is possibly the best Irish system. Um, and then you do have world players in there. You have your Josh Van der Fleers, your Dan Sheehan's, um, your Cam Darces. So I, I think it's definitely the best, the best Irish setup we've ever had and, and probably the best chance going into a World Cup, which is good because this is possibly the toughest World Cup we're ever going to have played in. Um, so I think if we're going to win it, we're going to need the Monster Boys because they're the ones who know how to do it hard. Um, I, I like. I think the best, the, ironically, our, one of our worst performances was that final against England. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was messy. Um, we were playing against 14 men for a lot of it because um, Freddie Stewart was sent off. Um and it was scrappy. It was a lot scrappier than it should have been for a home final. But it was it was tense and it was emotional and there was a lot on the line. 
so you can you know um you can understand why why emotions would have been high heightened i thought our best game um, was actually the game in scotland because everything went wrong we lost so many players that we ended up having keen healy in the scrums and josh van der Fleer throwing lineouts and we still won you know against a very one of the best scottish teams and um, we've seen in recent years you know this is a scotland team that could realistically trouble South Africa and realistically trouble us in the, in the World Cup. So, you know, I thought for us to be able to 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 go that far down in our like who knew King, I I knew in on paper that King Easy had scrummaged, but I think or could had played hooker, but like to to suddenly switch into that role and I think his first involvement was a scrum and we won a scrum penalty. You know, I, I remember reading tweets after it, and there was a, a tweet from I think his name's Graham Love on Twitter. And he said, it's like fighting the Terminator. You can't kill these guys. And so I, I think, you know, Joe Schmidt was a great coach and, and Ireland did phenomenally well under him. Um, and, and he built a lot of what we're seeing now. But, but I think this team, it's it's unique selling, selling point as opposed to that Joe Schmidt team is that this team can adapt on the fly even better than, you know, the, the adage of Ireland is Leinster. No, Ireland can adapt a lot better than Leinster. Leinster are a very good team, but Ireland are a lot more adaptable and they have a lot more, you know, I think if if Leinster had had Peter O'Mahony on the on the field, they would have beaten La Rochelle. If they had Ty Byrne, you know, maybe if they had Ian Henderson come off the bench, you know, Ireland is a lot more than Leinster. And I think both in terms of personnel and in terms of systems. So is it the best Ireland team ever? You know, we'll we'll see. But it's I think it's definitely the best Irish setup we've ever had. Um, Absolutely, and it is. Um, <clears throat> dare I say, it is. There, there's a there's a fair point to be made. That's a great system, and you know the buy-in is great, the culture is great, and whatever. But like, maybe that is what makes you a better team. You know, maybe maybe that is the the. I don't want to say the top six inches, but the the fine margins almost. That like, yeah, you can have all the talent in the world, but it takes everything. It takes, you know the talent on the field is only about 50% of it really like you know at the end of the day you need luck you need a bit of everything and um yeah no I do, I do think it's a it's a great Ireland team they've won a grand slam there's there's great quality coming through these lads are being pushed like there's okay there there will be qualms that'll say that Ireland don't rotate enough or whatever but this is a squad that is for the most part you're not as nailed on as you might have been in, in previous iterations. You look back at, yeah. say, the Eddie O'Sullivan era, Declan Kidney era, Joe Schmidt era. Like, this is a squad who, again, like you're not you're not necessarily nailed on. And yes, people will use the point of the, the World Cup squad and use it against Andy Farrell and use it against his selections. But I do think, like when you, as the list I gave there earlier of the players who who played against Fiji who haven't been in, who haven't made it. That's only, what, six games ago, seven games ago. Like, that's that's still a bit of upheaval. And uh, Tom's just, just after rejoining us. And Tom, no no bother at all. It, it happens. But I just want to ask for your opinion. Like, on the back of Ireland, they have won a Grand Slam. It is, again, we're not going to downplay that. We're not going to do that here. But as I asked David and kind of talked about here, um, do you think with the benefit of hindsight, um, now that we're three months on, that we are watching possibly the best Irish team before our eyes? And again, I, pre- I preface it, as I said to David, that this is before World Cup and obviously 
that's what they'll be measured on, whether we agree with it or not. But as of right now, do you think it is possibly the best Irish team? Yeah, I I think both points are correct. I think uh, this is the best Irish team um, that we've had. Um, purely what I was on basis of what we were speaking earlier on about not having a fear of the having no fear of the South Africa or the Southern Hemisphere big trees teams and getting those wins down there in Australia and in 26, 2018 and, and then New Zealand. Um, and these guys have played, the younger guys at, at, at Ireland have played these teams in under 20s and beaten them too. So that's a new thing in Irish rugby. That's not that's not a thing we've ever had in our history. Um, but you're right, the quarterfinal will have an asterisk on it. You know what I mean? If we don't get out further than the quarterfinals, um it's harsh, but it'll it'll be just another. It'll be it'll be back to square one, so to speak. It's it's un, it's a bit ridiculous to say it all rides on on getting further than 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 previous teams have got. But but in some ways, it, getting further in the quarterfinal than the quarterfinal is really everything for this current team. And uh, we are hugely unfortunate the way the draw turned out, but it is what it is. But um, yeah, it is the best Irish team. You know, this last sort of five or six years. Um, especially the depth we have, you know, compared to other teams that we, we won championships with, um, and 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 the sign of that depth is the lads that are not getting in the twenty three or in the thirty. You know, it's a ridic- ridiculous amount of depth. You know, our our friends in you know Ulster, or your, your own club and Munster, your own club Munster, we crying out for extra lads to be in that team that, because they're playing so well. But that just shows you how strong. And that, that is again another new thing in, in in Irish rugby. So yeah, it is our strongest team. It's our strongest squad. In Ireland rugby's Irish rugby's never been as strong. But but in some ways, it comes down to that quarter final against whoever in October um, to try and you know just underline that rather than leave an asterisk because um, that's that's it's always going to be an issue. And that can we do it X weeks in the, in a row? Um, where we failed before and we will spend an awful lot of time looking at that but David do you want to just jump in quickly before we move on yeah just to, just to finish off like on, on what Sam said about who, who gets in and who doesn't you know there's, there was calls for, for the likes of say Jean Clan to get in and and a number of other lads to get in I think at this stage um, Andy Farrell is building to this you know as much as we'd like to say we want to win every year we do like obviously we want to win every year um, I think he has been building to this stage and I don't think there's anyone correct me if I'm wrong who's in that 42-man squad who hasn't been in an Andy Farrell squad before No, they've um, all been in at least in the Six Nations or maybe at least in the extended squad yeah, not yeah. necessarily capped but at least in an extended squad correct. and I think if anything that's what counted against people like Lyon I and mean, people like Hodnett I know uh, Hodnett was on the Emerging Ireland tour but it's it's you know he he wants people who know the system who know how they play who he knows and he knows he can trust. Um, so I think he's been building into that, and it's a very it's an interesting one that I hadn't actually known. Um, also from watching that Squid Rugby video, that apparently back in 2013, the RFU sat down and made uh, made a, a mission statement about what they wanted to do in the next ten years, and the Rugby World Cup was only mentioned once. You know they they were priorities in Champions Cups and. Six Nations and Grand Slams a lot more than they were the World Cup. And I, I think that Andy Farrell, in this case, has been marrying the two quite well, where we're competitive every year, but he's he's been building to this, to the point now that when there's a 33-man squad named in late August, there's maybe two or three men in that squad who aren't already decided, maybe. Um, and, and realistically, 
just by going off the number of squads I've seen professional uh, analysts give where they're all basically lining up. I think I don't think there'll be a whole lot of surprises. And I think that speaks to the fact that we're we're going to be as well prepared for this World Cup as we possibly could be. Which is always a good thing to say. And like, there's an amalgamation of the two points to come here because we're going to move on to the under-20s. And like, as you said, it was all about the pathways and promoting young talent and getting them to the fore um, in the IRFU's recent reports. And then as Tom said, you know, the younger players, they don't fear these South African teams as much because that's who they're going to end up playing for the next couple of years. And that's that's a brilliant thing to have. And like, so this year's under-20s, they've done back-to-back Grand Slams. Some of them have literally won two Grand Slams titles, which is unbelievable. Sam Prendergast among uh, a few heroes of the hour. And he's one of a handful to also play URC level this season. But I'll come to you first, Tom. What do you think this dominance, of which there was two successive Grand Slams and 21 wins in 23 Six Nations games since 2019, What's the dominance say about the production line in Ireland right now from a pathways viewpoint, but also just just the sheer how how good these lads are when they're coming through? I I think you could look at it negatively and positively. Uh, I more positively than anything else. Um like the systems in Ireland were, you know, if you take Leinster, for example, my own province, where you've got sort of Leinster under 16 teams and club band schools under 17s and under 18s and then they merge at under 19s for the best of the best and then they go into first year academy you know and going back to what David said about having distinct pathways for the RFU and that meeting 10 years ago and 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 so for example Leinster's academy set up just before that it's created a pathway directly you know there's the one pathway that's always been there for 100 years and I do laugh at people saying you know Ireland have Dublin Dublin especially in Leinster have all these schools and those schools have been there for a hundred years. You know, we we were fairly shit for, for 90 of them. So it's not, it's not all that happens. These great schools It's what you do with it and how you merge that into the provinces. Um, Munster were a little bit later to the, to the party and getting their academy sorted out and stuff. But, but now that they have, and they started focusing on, on clubs, like you can see the, the benefit of what they've done down in West Cork um, and players coming through there, and I'm sure they're going to try and replicate that amongst other areas of of, of Munster. Just our lens, just as Leinster are not sitting on their laurels. I know we're talking provincial here, but it all feeds into the Irish camp. These were the you know we've only four teams, and that's where they come from. Um, you know we get a few the odd exile um coming across to play for the under twenties, but like we have a setup where you're producing players in depth, um, year on year. And, you know, you're taking them out of that school system or out of that club system, getting the best of the best and merging them at, a, a, say, under-19s before they go into the academy. And they're, they're they're really prepared to go for for then when they start playing for Ireland at under-20s. And as you say, you know, bar COVID as well, where we were, I think, we won three wins out of three when the competition was, I think we still had Italy to play in England at home, I think, just from memory. You know, it could have been, uh, and we'd won, won the year before, it could have been four out of five slams. Uh and when we've got two of the biggest under-20 teams in the world, like France have won the last two under-20 World Cups and England have won three, I think, in total, that's some going, really, for a team that, for, for, for a county that, or for a country that hasn't got the same playing numbers. Um, uh, so, so, so therefore, you know, it's, it's positive, positive, positive all the way. I think that the, the one maybe negative, um, breaking it down to provincial is just a little bit more of an abundance coming, obviously, from one province. 
uh, at the moment. But hopefully that will change. I mean, it's all cyclical. I remember the day, we all remember when Munster, basically the Irish pack and the nine and the ten, and, you know, nobody complained then, and we shouldn't really complain now. At the end of the day, they all wear green. But, like, I'm sure I'm sure the RFU will try and get, they'll never get a complete balance, but maybe balancing out a little bit where, where there's just not this 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 depth of, from coming through from one province. But um, you get players like Jack Ainger moving, um, the Connacht, uh, Roman Salano has gone to to to, to Munster, so so um, yeah, it's 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 all good. Like he, he, again, as I said earlier in the pod, it's all about context for Ireland or where we were. Um, you know these these young lads, if we said we've said several times, are, are now used to 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 playing against France or beating England in under twenties or beating South African teams, and that's the mindset. It's the top few inches. It's the difference in sport that just wasn't there. We were always the plucky, you know, plucky losers in the quarterfinal against Australia when we'd run out of steam with 20 minutes to go and we'd pat ourselves on the back. Um, and there were good days, but those days are gone. Like we now want to win and we know they have to compete with us. So I think, I think our Irish, the production line, for want of a better word, is, is in rude health at the moment. Yeah, 100%. Dave, have you added to, to briefly add on that? Yeah, no, just that it's it's a it's a testament to the the structure as much as anything. Um, you know, given that the under twenties is always going to be a a cyclical team because you know they, they eventually they grow up and uh, you have to bring in new lads. The fact that they've managed to be consistently either successful in the case of the two Grand Slams or um, consistent there or thereabouts for a good few years now is a testament to the structure of the the management of the coaches of of that team that they've managed to take every new crop of lads and say okay we're going to turn you guys into into world beaters and then you get people like Sam Prendas coming out coming out of it um I think I think the onus now from from that point of view on you know they have the the world championship uh coming up in uh late June which will be a lot of fun um the only the only aspect of that that makes me even slightly nervous is that one of the teams we have to play is Australia. I don't know if either of you remember the last time uh, we were in a world championship and it looked like the Australians were like a size and a half bigger than everyone. They they were able to just do this. I, I've never seen so many choke tackles in one match because they realized they were literally able to pick people up and hold them up. So that would be the only thing that makes me slightly nervous there. But hey, look, you know, you want to you be the best, you got to beat the best. Um, I think the onus from there on Unlike the Nash, unlike the senior squad, this under twenties team won't be judged by that championship. It'd be nice to win it, but um, the real testing ground will be where they go from there. And I think it was Tom said earlier something like eight of that team um, are going into the Leinster Academy next year. You know, I know that Sean, o, another Sean O'Brien, um, and Andrew Smith are also both going west to Connacht from Leinster, and I've I've seen both of them play. They're they're very good. Andrew Smith probably with the sevens, Sean O'Brien, I've seen him play. And uh, we played Chile in a, an exhibition match there in the Energia Park and he's a very good player. So I think the onus is to see that the provinces then get the best out of these young players and, and give them every chance to to come through. Because to get to that stage in the first place, you have to be very good. Um it's a question of now who's going to be able to take the step up from there. Yeah, one hundred percent. And listen, it's it's not all rosy in the garden either because it wasn't as good news for the for the women's side who who finished in a dreaded final spot sixth place wooden spoon finish and like i'll come to you first here david um like a lot needs to be done to get the women's game on the 11 playing field to say in england or france 
even if you could add that, you know, if if money runs dry in English rugby, maybe their women's team will, will, will be the last domino to fall. You'd, you'd hope not because they've produced incredible talent. But going back to to Ireland, like as things stand, are you confident they are if you are taking the right steps as of right now? And it's it's important to to look at now as well as you know the the bigger picture. I think they're taking some steps. Um, I don't know if they're taking all of them. Um, you know, it's important to remember that like you know there was a time in Ireland where the the whipping boys at the of the of the Five Nations competition as well. It takes time to get to a point where you're competitive. It's it's obviously frustrating watching England, watching France, where they, you know, their their teams are basically fully professional. You know, and it's like a question of of course our players can't compete, you know. They come off the back of a Six Nations match and they go to work on Monday. Um, you know, there's only so competitive you're ever going to be at that level. I think a lot of focus is put on the national side, and obviously I think they've handed out 20 plus contracts, and that's great, even though the contracts aren't aren't a lot to write home about. Um, I would like to see an increased focus on the provincial game. I think if we want players, um, if we want to be really competitive, we need to have players playing more often, playing at a higher level. And I think, I don't know where the provinces slot in, if they could possibly get into some sort of Anglo-Irish league, that would be fantastic. But I think if, you know, the national team steps in the right direction with the contracts, that's great. But if we really want to be competitive, we need players who are playing week in, week out in competitive matches. And the only way to do that is to have um, you know, if you want to mirror the men's team to have the four the four provinces, um, ideally get to a point where they're able to they're they're playing matches regularly, um, and ideally at a professional level. So yeah, I think yeah, I agree with most of that, Tom. If you want, then do you'd like to add on that about the the women's game? Is is it going in the right direction, or is there certain things that stand out to you even that we we should be looking to address? Um, I'll briefly to just a couple of positives. Obviously, it's worth mentioning. Obviously, the women's sevens are going to be Olympians in Paris, which is like, you know, when we're growing up, whether you know, whatever fan of sport you are, you're looking to World Cup in football, or but the Olympics is is up there, and the girls are going to be the women are going to be Olympic Olympians at that. So that's that is absolutely fantastic, considering where 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 we come from before, uh, and 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 the men's sevens are doing really well as well. So, but sticking to the women's game, yeah, David rightly touched on a lot of the, the sort of negative points. I would just add that I think that there was a poll or a survey done amongst, you know, after the Six Nations and just about half the players responded. So to me, looking out from an outsider, that's not that's not good. And I think only 30-odd percent of the staff responded to this survey to bring these forward, these 30 recommendations on the back of that survey. So that, to me, is not a good sign. It's not a good sign that you're, if you're not publishing that survey, that report in full, there's a lot of bullet points. So there's still a lack of transparency there. I think it wouldn't be acceptable in the men's game. And I don't know why it would be acceptable in the women's game. Um, but I'll end on the positive. Gemma Crowley's come back in as the team manager. She was there sort of the mid-2014, um, 2012, when, when Ireland had a really good team and won a, won a, won a slam in there. In the, I think it was 2014, won a slam. So, you know, she's the right woman for the job and and um, and and hopefully to bring it back on track and not not accept second best, which clearly is there. Look, I coach at women's rugby in, in scaries and stuff like that. So I, I've sort of vested interest that I see young players, I've players gone through to the Irish under 18s this year from my own club. So I'm well familiar from a coaching point of view what the, 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 the positives it is and the growth of the game. Like in Leinster alone, there's about 40 under 18 clubs 
from all the way from Gorey to the Dundalk and Navin and everywhere in between. So I can see the growth of the game and those pathways will bring more players. Uh, it's what the RFU do um, after that. They need to start out the AIL as well. They there's too many too many internationals on just between BlackRock and and uh, and and um, Railway yeah. Union. It's too yeah. it's too congested. You know, Munster won the Interpros this year, but they have a lot less numbers. There's a lot of Munster girls playing up in Dublin, so it's it's there, there is issues that they need to sort out internally in the game where. They, they, you know, get the girls playing for their home, home, you know, whether it be Balancholic or wherever else down, keep them down, keep them down in, in, in Limerick or Bohemians, wherever they have to do, rather than just concentrating on two or three clubs in Dublin. And then, um, you know, that just, there's just lots to fix still. Uh, I would be slightly concerned on the earlier points I raised about the lack of numbers that, that, that respond to the survey and the lack of transparency from the RFU on, 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 on publishing the report in full. Um, so yeah, still still a long way to go. It's been a difficult, difficult twenty twelve sort of eighteen months for you know just with public fallouts and social media and players not getting picked and it's yeah it's it's a, still at a low web like the tide, the tide is still has to come in for the for 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 women's fifteen rugby especially anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, we we have to give it time as well. You know these things yeah. do take time, and that's you both agree with that. And and one of the things that could help raise the profile on a positive spin is probably is sevens. Whether we like it or not, sevens is an Olympic sport. It will help raise the profile, even if it is bandied about as kind of an ugly word when we talk about the sevens game, especially in or in relation to the women's. And like, again, try as, try as you might, it's hard to deny that there's a lure of playing World Seven Series to younger players in particular. You're traveling the world, you're you're getting paid to do it. You're having a lot of fun. Like it's, it's a great, it's a great format. And just for those who, who wouldn't really follow it, I know it's difficult to watch now with the, the way it's gone streaming wise. It was a whirlwind couple of months for both teams. So the, the men's team, they reached a world cup semifinal um, in Cape town last year, but ultimately finished eighth in the world series and only reached two semifinals in the series as a whole. Meanwhile, the women's side, as you mentioned, secured Olympic qualification for Paris in 2024 and finished fifth in the series as a whole. All in all, and we'll come to you first here, David, can we class it as a successful year in both fields, firstly? And secondly, given given the fact that it is an attractive sport, should we be striving for better and really trying to push on seven with sevens, even if some people are vehemently against it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pure form of it's a it's a uh, yeah it's a it's a different a very different code from 15s um you can see that from the players that thrive there that don't thrive in 15s and vice versa even though there's a lot of overlapping skills um it's almost as much about being a sprinter as anything else but it's a it's a fantastic sport to watch like it's um it's short it's sharp it's very fast um and the way that the seven turns are structured you get a nice festival feel i think an aim for the IRFU might be to try and get a seven series in Ireland. I think that would do a lot 100%. of good for that competition. And particularly yeah. given we have players, you know, our women's team, there's a lot of um, a lot of hay made about the fact that like the likes of Stacey Flood, the likes of Bavin Parsons, the likes of Amy Lee Murphy Crow are not available to the 15s team because they're in seven series. But it's like, would you rather be in a team that are carrying the wooden spoon in the Six Nations, or would you rather be a team that's going to the Olympics? You know, it's it's not a difficult decision for them and it shouldn't be held against them. Going to the, as far as I'm considered, becoming an Olympian is the equivalent to going to a World Cup. 
it's the same level. And if they can, I think there's talent enough in that team. If they could get in even close to a medal, that would be a huge accomplishment, um, a massive one. And to speak to the the like the idea of sevens as a whole, um, you know, I watch a lot of Super Rugby. I watch, uh, my team is the Blues. And one of our players, Caleb Clark, who's uh, an international, he's played for the All Blacks, he's a winger. He actually took time out from playing for the Blues and playing for the All Blacks to play for the New Zealand Sevens team because they were going to the Olympics. Like, that's the height that they class it at. So I, I don't think there's any reason for us to do any different. I think it's a fantastic sport. The more eyes you can get on it, the better. If we could get it on RTE instead of having to get it on streaming, that'd be great. And uh, when our when our women's team goes to the to the Olympics, I think they should have our our full throated support. Yeah, I think thanks. it's I think it's a very easy positive. It's a very easy win in a time when women's rugby is is struggling in Ireland. This is the easiest win in the world. Yeah, one hundred percent. And thankfully, the fact that like obviously the last Olympics were in Tokyo, so we had matches kicking off at like two or three o'clock in the morning. Thankfully, we don't have that this time around, which is good. But a, a bit of a curveball question for you here, Tom. Like. David mentioned the fact that it's only available on streaming, the Sevens platform. And then you also have the fact that there's like, I think there's only 10 seven series women's events, if even less. And one of them is smack bang in the middle of the Six Nations. Do you think World Rugby are doing enough to promote women's rugby in that regard? And the fact that like the two biggest competitions of the year, arguably the Six Nations and Seven Series are clashing. Do you think they could do more as well because it's important to recognise that not every hurdle was set down by the RFU when it comes to women's game. The biggest, for me, the biggest thing World Rugby need to do is to make sure that the, with the World Cup in, or the Olympics in France, is to make sure that the key sevens games, uh, whatever code we're talking, female or male, that the key matches are on it, even in times. Um, and, and you rightly pointed out, you know, playing two o'clock in the morning. What you want for the Irish girls, for example, in the in the sevens, is to be half seven on 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 a, on a Wednesday evening when everybody's in from work and and then the Olymp- everyone's going to switch on for the Olympics like we all do, and there's sevens on. That's the only way it's going to harness all the investment that's going in in sevens. In in my opinion, is also to the detriment of the fifteens. But that's we've we've touched on that, um, and get the next generation coming because at the moment the next generation of players. That are in in coming from the sevens, all they all come from fifteens. So if if we're if we're prioritizing one over the other, uh, that 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 pathway that we're we're slowly choking is going to kill the sevens in the long term too. Um, so I I would say from the, that that's from the RFU side, from the World Rugby side, it's just to try and lobby the the Olympics to to make sure you know. Ireland playing Australia in the sevens at 11 o'clock in the morning in Paris, which it won't get the numbers. And especially, as you mentioned, it with with the World Series streaming, none of these girls are getting visibility, for example, or the lads. It's only sort of diehards, rugby fans that will tune in and have all the links because we all share them on, on social media. And everybody, you know, a, it's still a small group of people. There's several thousand, you know, Irish rugby fans that are online that sort of, are, are clued into when these matches are on and you sort of spread it as much as you can. But that's not what's going to grow the game. Like we're, we're we've bought in, you know, we're we're rugby fans. We 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 live and breathe it. But it's getting that wider, that wider thing, you know, just for my own dad who loves sport, you know, he, he needs to be surprised when he's put on the oh yeah, put on the Olympics, he's 83 and oh the the, the rugby's on. You know, that's that's what you need. That's that's where where rugby have to, to push for the Olympics and, and, and the RFU as well just to get a more visibility. 100% agree and it's it's a point that I've made before that I think that we're 
world rugby in general aren't doing enough to promote like a great product to have. It's great for TV. I know Sky used to have it years ago and like things like that that you could literally stick on all day. They'd be great to have on RT player or TG car player or whatever for the media player because, but then at the same time, it's, it's not ideal. I remember the, the first sevens Olympics game in 2021, I suppose it was like, that was only an RT player, despite the fact they had live coverage at the time. And it's like, like we need to stop kicking ourselves in the foot as well. Do you know, that's, that's it as well. And I suppose we're, we're ended on somewhat of a high, you know, with the Olympic qualification and with the, the men's team having been discussed and we'll finish on a high as well with awards that we're going to hand out. There's, there's no prizes, no, no, nothing tangible here, but you know, a bit of pride if there, if there is anyone listening. Um, for those who didn't know, I wrote a team of the season article, which went down like a lead balloon in some circles, but anyways, <laughs> and I'll have to, and I will link that in the notes below. Um, so we'll forego that usual question. Um, although we'd all have a team of Jean Plines, but anyways, without any further ado, <laughs> let's get into it. And firstly, I'll come to yourself, Tom, what was your moment of the year? I think you know it's uh, you, you have probably more cho- more to choose from from me, Kaelin, given your given how once you finish the season. But look, it's only our fourth Grand Slam, and uh, you know to win a Grand Slam is is still huge, you know. So, and the way we, the rugby we played throughout that tournament was just fantastic. Um, and the Ireland France match, you know, even David touched on it. You know, we, we grew up watching Super Rugby, and I remember twenty years ago watching the the Tri Nations games between Australia and New Zealand, and going, "This is at a different level to what we play up here." Even in the English teams, and their pomp in 03 when they won the World Cup, but the Tri Nations rugby, you know, it's fair to say, and you know, I let any Southern Hemisphere listener come at me. That Ireland France game was right up there with that sort of level. That was outstanding rugby from both teams, and and to win a Grand Slam on the back of. You know, I know we had a little bit of a bit of a nervy day against England in the in the last day, but look, it's it's one over five games, not just just the, the game at the end. And um, that Ireland France game was just one of the best best uh, rugby games I was lucky enough to be at it, and just outstanding. And to win it, win it, to win a Grand Slam. And you know, when I was talking about Leinster earlier about trying to win a Highland Cup to try and but I put a tick mark beside these group of players that are that good. I think the Irish team needed to win a championship again and win a slam. Just, you know, we have some really top class players and and it, it's good that they, they they got the job done and, and, and the type of rugby. So, yeah, for me, easily the, the, the Six Nations was the moment of the year. Yeah. David, what, what was yours? I slightly misunderstood the assignment and I went for a provincial moment of the year. But um, I'm not a I'm not a bitter man. I can I can respect um success uh even for people even for my rivals and for me i thought the the provincial moment of the year was jack Curley's drop goal against leinster um it's you know i think leinster have there's been a lot of um debate about um the rivalry there because it's been so dominated by leinster lately but um i think if you remember to Tobin park this year we won by a point um very late in the game and i thought that jack Curley drop goal showed that not only are munster still very much uh in you know, competitive when it comes to Leinster, but that when it comes to knockout rugby, they still know how to do it. Um, or rather, not that even that they still know how to do it, but that the young lads have definitely picked up that torch. And I think the age profile of that team for anyone who's a Munster supporter should be, um, should be a massive uh, boost because there's a lot of players there who are only going to get better. Jack Curley is still a kid. He's going to get better and better. And um, 
yeah, for me, I thought that was just, it was in that moment that I was like, ah, we're done. We're not coming back. And uh, yeah, I had to sit quietly beside my my friend who's their biggest supporter. And, and yeah, <laughs> it was a good day for him. Not such a good day for me, but that was that was my moment of the, of the year. Well, now you're offended because they weren't sitting beside me and I was. <laughs> I might think I'm right up there. But anyways, well, I'll, still, I'll still ask you the next one besides it. What was your try of the year would come to you, David? Yeah, I will say he's a he's a, a monster supporter in Dublin, which is a lot harder than being a monster supporter in Ever. In Galway, so. actually. But anyway. <laughs> um, so my try of the year was a little off the beaten path. It was a try, not just because it was a very nice try, but because of its effect on the momentum of a game. And in the case of one one of the teams, its effect on the momentum of the season. But it was Gary Ringrose's first try against Ulster in the RDS. Um, Ulster shot out to a massive lead. At the start, um, Leinster have managed to claw back a mall try uh, just at the end of the first half. But they came out in the second half. Garing was the, was the captain on the day. And this was just a piece of play where the ball was played in the middle. There were still, I think, four or five Ulster, Ulster players between him and the line. And he double-stepped his way past half of their team so quickly that James Eaton couldn't get out of his way and got clattered in the, clattered in the face and, uh, and he went over. Um, it was a great piece of individual play from Ringrose. Um, you know, he's he's more of a defensive player. He's more of a tactical player. This was just an incredible piece of stepping on his behalf. And then he went and did it again a few minutes later and, and Leinster ended up winning the game. Um, so as as a piece of individual brilliance from him and then as a, as the effect it had on that game and then unfortunately on the season thereafter, I thought that was that was my try of the season. It's it's a good shout, great score, and I I realized halfway through that that I never get my moment of the year, even though it may seem obvious. But <laughs> I, I'll I'll go niche er on it, and like the the thing now of you know multiple people lifting up a trophy is it's it's commonplace now in rugby. But to see Keith Earls and Peter Armani doing it for Munster, like you you couldn't get two better men, and you both agree. And then try the year. I've gone with one that's probably not the best try, but Dan Sheehan's second against England, because that's when you knew, you know, that's that's the moment you knew. That was the Grand Slam. And, you know, you also Gary Ringo's bonus point try against France, well worked after about 15 phases. Hugo Keenan's second phase try against France as well. Mac Hansen against South Africa on the counter-attack, you know, and a host of provincial ones. But, um... What was yours, Tom? Was it in that list, or is it? Um... It was in that list, and I'm, I'm I'm keeping the 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 David's thing going of mentioning Gary Ringrose, and you touched on it there. I think you know the Ireland France game, which I think was the game of the year. Um, it, the match was close at that stage; it was twenty five nineteen, even though we were I think three tries to one up, but we hadn't quite put France away. And as you had said yourself, Kaelin, was a 15 or 16 phases in that, but and, and it epitomised everything that's good about the way that Irish team is playing under Farrell. Multiple players doing multiple roles around rooks. It was just so good. And people forget it was it was uh, young Casey and Ross Bourne was on the pitch at that stage. You know, you know, you know, that just shows you they can slot in. And I know, I know Ross got some criticism after the URC, and but you know, this was at the highest level against the you know probably the best one of the best teams in the world. And but for two moments it was Caelan Doris's offload on the outside just was unbelievable, and and then Ringrose's finish to really seal the match against you know one of the, one of the, one of the best matches in the last fifty years, and uh, you know the camera shot from behind it had one of those hang it in the Louvre <laughs> moments where you could see Ringrose sort of that 
open gate that he has. And you could see, uh, I think it was Jalabert and Fick who scattered on the grass behind him with uh, that, one of the big locks, just, you know, desperation looking at Ringrose. So it was... It was uh, yeah, 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 it, yeah. It was just, uh, it was just a fantastic try, and uh, to just finish off uh, yeah, an unbelievable game. He took out three players at one fend. He fended Jalabert yeah. back. Jalabert went down and into the legs of the two players behind him. It was just, it was unbelievable. Like you couldn't do yeah. what you tried. Yeah, it was, it was unreal. It had a great moment as well. If you, if you want to put that there as well, like a great, like what a game that was. Like it's Thompson yeah. game of the year probably, and. And like our next, our next one, and we'll come to you, Tom. Is is young player of the year? I think having discussed it beforehand, I think we're unanimous on this. But you know, it's it's testament to the player that they were not really a massive part of the conversation around the time that Ireland won the Grand Slam, but it's now changed. Um, for me, it's Jack Crowley. And which way have you have you gone? Yeah, I think, I think, I think. We're all in agreement pre-pod that was was Jack Crowley. So the fact that I'm going to let you talk about Jack Crowley, I think Sam Prendergast is probably worth to mention too because we we now have the possibility of two tens that could see us through for the next ten years, which is which is fantastic. You know what I mean? Um, I let you wax lyrical about about Jack. You know he's had his moment in the sun with his drop goal and and winning it. I think. You know, if you looked at football at all, and you know, people always used to say about, uh, you know, who's the best player of all time, and they talk about Messi and talk about Ronaldo. I remember looking at Zidane and the amount of time he would give himself on the ball in rugby parlance. I think that's what Sam Brandegas is like. He just unbelievable the amount of time he gives himself on the ball, and uh, yeah, like if if it's going to be Prendergast and Crowley for the next ten years in our twenty three after, you know, then the, you know that 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 partnership will settle in somewhere time before the next World Cup in 2027 and the trajectory both are shown I think you know it's both provinces will be in good place and, and Ireland will be in good place it's exciting for for, for both those teams so I'll, I'll pass the baton over to you and let's speak about Jack Crowley yeah, while I get I mean, my my spec in about Sam I mean like there's there's not a whole pile to say that, that people wouldn't have seen in the column inches or in podcasts like the the man is as cool as cool as a cucumber mm. like I think if you want to know about Jack Crowley, you look at that URC final, you look at the fact that, and okay, some of this information is true, the likes of Access Monster interviews after the fact, but Calvin Ash came out and he said, I told Jack during the week after doing my analysis, if you see me with my hands up in the air on the wing, you kick it to me. That means there's a cross field on. It's something they would have spotted. The first time he sees it, he puts one, Listen, it could have went horrible bounce, but it went hard. It went horrible for the Stormers and Calvin Nash scores, does it again, possible offside. You look at the fact that in that game, and I'm I'm noticed that I'm just completely bypassing the drop goal, but listen, anyways, the drop goal was incredible. Um, like you look at the fact that the first try was a, was scored in the left hand corner. He is a kick in the left hand corner with five minutes to go, tired legs tired mind to push it out to a five-point game and completely change the complexion of the game for the last five minutes. And he's, he just sticks it right in between the uprights, right down the black spot. And I mean, he's only, what, 22, 23 years of age. You can't ask Anthem more from a young lad like that. Um, David, were you going to say um, Jack Crowley as well? Just I think you were. Um, I was, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought... Um, switching it up and going back to the international scene. Um, 
you know, it's it's easy to forget that when we went to New Zealand uh, last summer, number three was Harry Byrne. Um, and he went there as the 10. Is You know, the plan was to have him start both of the Maori All Black games. He gets an injury, which has been something Harry has struggled with for years. And Kieran Frawley steps into the gap and plays incredibly well. I think he even benefited from, from the fact that they lost the first game, but then won the second. So it showed a, kind of a, a growth in that sense. And um, then Farrell has has Frawley in his uh, Autumn Nation series squad as well. And injury strikes just before that. I was at the I was in the RDS when it happened, and I head and hands because I knew what it meant. Um, Joey Carberry picked up an injury, I think, against against Fiji, and Jack ends up starting against Australia. And you know, injuries are kind of there's only so much you can do at, at injuries, but the real measure, particularly in this Irish team where we do have that much depth, you know, I, I've just rattled off three players that we've gone through in in as many months at the time, actually. Um, when Jack Riley got in that position, he took it with both hands and he made sure that our, Andy Farrell knew his name. And when it came around to the next Six Nations, he was the one in that squad as as the third choice 10. And only and after that URC final, it's only just third choice 10. I think Jack, I think, uh, sorry, Ross Byrne is a phenomenal player. I think if Johnny goes down, it'll be Ross starting, but it'll be a tight thing. And by the end of that World Cup, I think Jack Hurley could be in, in a much stronger position. Um, he's young, and the fact that he's young and he's still playing the way he's playing, um, anyone who wants to know what kind of venom and fight he brings should see the the hit in, he put in against uh, Harry Byrne carrying just before that drop goal. Um, no, I think he has, uh, he has the skills, but he has the mentality as well. And the fact that he turned down Ron Nogara to go to La Rochelle to be there 10, to possibly win a Champions Cup, and said, no, I'm going to stay in Munster. You know, Joey Carberry was ahead of him at that point. Ben Healy was ahead of him at that point. He said, no, I'm going to stay here. And, you know, six months after that, he's he's an Ireland international. So I think it has to be Jack Carberry. Yeah, 100%. I think he could well be your breakthrough player of the year. But if he's not, who did you go for? And we'll go back to you again, David. Um, I went with Rob Russell. Um, Staying provincial. He's, he's, yeah. But, I mean, I thought he's, he's not the most... Um, you know, you see someone like Jordan Larmy, you think this is a generational talent with the way he can step and the way he can he can run. But Rob Russell very quietly scored, I think, 10 tries this season. Um, he's a he's a winger's winger, so he might not get into an Andy Farrell squad, but you know, he played in some big games. He played against the Sharks in the RDS, and he saw that, saw that, knew what kind of game that was, and he he played in that match. He's just been he's been one of those players who wouldn't have made a lot of headlines at the start of the season, but is now I think he's Leinster's top try scorer this season. Um, I, I think it was it was only this season or maybe last season that he got a senior contract. So I think that's from him. That was just incredible. Um, how, how high his ceiling is, um, I don't know. But I thought this year he played incredibly well for someone as as green as he is. And Tom, who did you have for for that goal? Um, just to show I'm not completely blue eyed, I, I went for uh, John Hodness. I thought he had an outstanding season. Um, I you know people might say age wise he's not a break, but I thought it was a breakthrough season from he he he's now a bit of a household name rather than the niche yeah rugby nerds that would have known him before that. Um, I I just it it showed you how valuable he was that once were prepared to leave Snyman on the bench in the final to accommodate um Hodnett and you know that says a lot you know when you when you've got Coombs and O'Mahony and. Ty Byrne and John Clayne and stuff like that, and the fact that you decided to leave Snayman. I know it's an eighty-minute game, but at the end of the end of the day, Snayman is their marquee player, 
Um, he is the marquee player. He's the player that Munster have been crying out for for the last two or three years. Um, and the what ifs and what if he was, what if he was. When it came to the crunch, um, round three to, to his credit went for went for a game where he could could target um, Stormers um, and and sort of nullify that. So Dion Fury, who's 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 a real weapon around the breakdown for Stormers, and and John Hodman was a man, and and to do it in Cape Town is just unbelievable. You know, it's so, yeah, it, 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 he's gone from sort of part of the Munster squad to a key member in a winning season. So, um, and as you, I think you'd mentioned before the pod that he maybe 15 appearances before that or whatever. So yeah, outstanding by Hodnett and, and he's making a real push now for trying to get into that Irish back row or group of six or five or six players. It's just unreal when you see some of the players we're going to leave at home and it could be Hodnett and Penny and, you know, could be left at home as well. You know, you know, real riches in that area. Um, we've we've put put players. You know, Max Deegan had a really good season. You know, just touching on that back row. But yeah, John Hodnett for me was you know the sort of breakthrough player of the year for me. David, who did you have for the award? For the which? For the awards breakthrough player. Oh, I said Rob Russell. Oh, sorry. I I I'm on the wrong thing. <laughs> I was on the wrong line. Sorry. Um, we'll come to you for this one. So your own song hero. Uh, I'm going to defy Tom and say blue eyes. Um, I went for Liam Turner. Um, I thought he, he played a lot of 13 for Leinster this season. Um, and you know, for a position at like 13 where you have Gary and Rose and Robbie Henshaw to shine in that position is pretty impressive. Um, and um, yeah, like he's not in any conversations, and realistically, at this stage, he shouldn't be because there's, there's so much ahead of him. But um, you know, when Leinster were we're playing there, we're rotating heavily. He was he was a guy who stepped up and, and performed incredibly well. Um and to marry the two systems, you know, he's a he's a guy who has played at sevens level and he showed that pace um a number of times both in attack and in defense. Um so yeah I thought I thought he had a great a great season. Um it'll be obviously it'll always be a difficult thing because Gary Ringrose is not an old man and is not going anywhere anytime soon. But injuries are a thing and if your 13 goes down particularly at provincial level, I think Leinster have no reason to fear when they've got someone like Liam Turner ready to step up. Um, who did you have for, for this one? Yeah, for, well, for me, Unsung Hero is, is somebody who's not an international player and provincial um, supporters just realise the value of this player's worth weight in gold. And you were talking to somebody like Marty Moore at Ulster, who, who really did a big job up there for Ulster this year and he was he was missed towards the latter end of the season. Or likes of Connor Oliver and Connacht, who's just week in, week out. And, you know, I'm sure you're going to mention a team full of Jan Clains, you know. Yes. But Le- Leinster's version of Jan Clain and Ross Maloney. And, you know, he's not going to be in the Irish setup. And, you know, that's fair enough. We we, we sort of have a running joke over in the Leinster pod that it's, you know, the, the Michael Bent Award for somebody who's just an unsung hero. And Ross Maloney is a real leader in that team. And he sort of, you know, people would probably argue again, was Leo right to start him in the final? That's why we signed Jenkins. And, but look, it was his form that got him there. You know, he he made it hard for him to be dropped. And it's not the reason Leinster lost the, the Heineken Cup final. This was Ross Maloney played. Anyone that, anyone that knows their onions or has any knowledge of rugby, that's not the reason. There's a lot of other reasons. Our kicking game, you know, but I'm going to get sidetracked on that. But yeah, Ross Maloney, um, in a team in a team full of John Clains, Ross Maloney's captain. <laughs> right. Okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak one last point under there just because Tom said it. And I was like, I gotta mention this. Uh, it was well the end of last season, if not the start of this season. Um, you know when Leinster went over oh, Leinster, sorry, 
when Ireland went down to uh, New Zealand last season and played, you know, three test matches and, and two matches against the Mayor All Blacks, they found themselves in need of a tight head. And there was one tight head who'd been plugging it away for Taranaki rugby ever since he retired and went back home. And that was Michael Benton. To see him pull on an Ireland jersey again, it was unbelievable. And the reception he got when he came back into the change room was just brilliant. So I thought that was brilliant. This is why you don't invite two Leinster fans on. Because <laughs> the only thing they're going to wait is the awards. <laughs> but anyways, I, I would have said John Hodnett and John Klein, but I think if you're going internationally for Unsung, I know, Tom, you, you chose specifically provincially, but if you're going international, I think you could say someone like, you know, even Conor Murray had a very good Six Nations and people yeah. kind of glossed over it very quickly. But We'll come to you first for this one, Tom, the big one. Who is your Irish Rugby Player of the Year for 2022-2023? Well, look, he plays with Leinster, but he's from Mayo, so is that that throwing a bit of a dog? Because I'll go on, we'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> he's from Ballina. Look, Caelan Doris was just outstanding this year, and uh, I just, up until he got a little bit of a knock on the Six Nations, um, just his form for Leinster and uh, for Ireland, especially, he's he's just you know world class is sort of bandied around a lot, and genuinely he is one of our world class players. Um, just an all round number eight. Just you know, as an nearest thing we've had to Kieran Reid in this country. Um, that's the biggest compliment I could pay him. Um, I think he just yeah, and the thing about it is he's only going to get better and better. Um, I do think Leinster. I know Jack Conan has had a bit of a, a bit of a, and from Ireland even especially it has a bit of a good end of the season. But Kellandars has to play eight for Leinster and for Ireland. You know, I don't care about Conan or Coombs. They can they can all come up. But yeah, you can accommodate our best eight, and one of our best players plays eight, and you play him at eight, and uh, you, you you fit around that. With your Van der Fleers or wherever you are, you're going to play for Ireland or Leinster. But yeah, Caelan Doris, the, the Ballina Black Rock man. Yeah, you're you're <laughs> saving yourself here. You're overcompensating for something there now, you. <laughs> no one's accusing you of bias. There's just deadly stares from this end of the screen. But anyways, David, to, to cap it off for yourself, and I'm hoping you're not going to take my one. Who's your player of the year? Well, Tom took my one. Um, so... But uh, like Doris is amazing. The only the only problem with Doris is that he's playing on the same team as Jack Cohen, and it's a fight over who gets played in six. I think they've got it reversed. I think Doris is a better eight and Cohen's a better six. But look, I'm not arguing that one. So in the absence of that, I'm going to say Dan Sheehan. Um, you don't get hookers like him. You're like he's just unbelievable. I think this the the moment that Prue shows Dan Sheehan is is just something else when it comes to a hooker because he's a decent scrummager and he's not a bad line out thrower. Um, was his try against Toulouse? where Ireland are putting massive pressure on them in the scrum. They don't have Antoine Dupont at nine. The nine panics, flings the ball into one of his own players' faces. The ball ricochets back, and Dan Sheen is there like a flash, and then outpaces Dupont to get to the try line. Um, that from a hooker is just unbelievable. And you add to that his size, his general athleticism. Um, you know, this is a guy that other teams are going to be afraid of and are going to be watching because they know... Um, they know what he can do when you give him a bit of space in the ball. Ram, Ramos didn't fancy tackling near the end either. Guys. Not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> no that's that's a that's a full back. He's enough for tackling. That's true. I um I'm not going to say who my choice was, but um I'm gonna I yeah it was Dan Sheen. <laughs> like <laughs> no fine line. I could see in your face when I said. Yeah, no, it was it was Dan Sheen. But oh. the man that I think 
also could be there for Unsung Hero. Like he was so important for Leinster and possibly they could win the final if he stays on the pitch. And he was so important for Ireland was James Ryan. Like I think he's had his his best season yet. And listen, I, I'd love to I'd love to hand out to Dan Sheehan, but there's literally six or seven lads who could win this and you you could not bat an eye that, you know, Mac Hansen, Hugo Keenan, Gary Ringrose, um there's there's an obvious one I'm probably forgetting as well, more than likely. Um, Van der Feer. Van der Feer. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, so yeah, I'll go with James Ryan. I think he was he was unbelievable, but yeah, sorry. It would usually be Dan Sheen. But anyways, lads, that's that's all we have time for tonight. We've probably ran over anyways. Thanks for coming on, but thanks to everyone at home for listening and not just tonight, but for but for the season gone by. I'm going to take a, a brief summer sabbatical, as they call them down in Super Rugby. And I will restart with a fresh feel and widespread coverage of over 50 articles and podcasts planned across the Rugby World Cup books. So stay tuned for more information on that. So if you do like what you see or hear, please do subscribe. And you can find all the links to all my channels down below. But for now, take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.